Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Ron. And I'm Lindsay. And this is a review of That Thing You Do, starring Tom Everett Scott, Liv Tyler, Jonathan Shack, Steve Zahn, Ethan Embry, Giovanna Ribisi, Charlize Theron, Bill Cobbs, Kevin Pollack, Chris Isaac, and Tom Hanks. Written and directed by Tom Hanks, released in 1996 on a budget of $26 million, grossed almost $35 million at the box office, and spawned a platinum soundtrack to boot. One of two films in his career Tom Hanks has directed. He's directed a lot of TV episodes, but he did this one, and then uh, I guess late in 2022, he did A Man Called Otto, so he finally got back in. But when he did this, everybody thought like, oh, Tom Hanks is going to be the new Clint Eastwood, and no, not so much, um, because as he tells it, he wrote this in breaks in between endless interviews doing uh, press tours for Forrest Gump because he got really bored <laughs> answering the same questions over and over again. And one thing about Forrest Gump, is all of that soundtrack that went along with it, that big double soundtrack. I think they even released another one after it. It was like boomer dad rock of all time, you know, and he listened, was listening to all that music and it kind of got him reminiscing. And he thought how many one hit wonders are on the soundtrack. And thus came this little movie. But before we get into all of that, Welcome in everybody here to Filmstrip. Brian, let's start with you. Memories of that thing you do. Cause this was really your idea. You've been wanting to do this one for years, man. Uh, we rented it when it came out on VHS as a family back in the day because uh, we loved a lot of that 60s type of music and everything else. And so my dad and I are both musicians and we both wanted to see this movie. He loves Tom Hanks, so it was a no-brainer and just fell in love with the movie itself so much so that uh, bought the VHS, took it with me to college. And my wife and I, dating at the time, watched it over and over and over again. It became one of our favorite movies of all time very cool ron what about you man i really don't think i saw this movie until it started to hit vh1 and then i saw it hundreds of times because it was always on vh1 <laughs> yes <laughs> so somehow weirdly i missed it I'm, I'm not sure what was going on in my life at the time but uh, i ended up catching up to it and then and then some lens what about you I I saw it when it first came out. My cousins and I um, spent our summers kind of together and we loved watching movies and every summer had one, somewhere between one and three movies that we watched like daily. And this was one of those movies for that summer. I think it was this and Dumb and Dumber and Ace Venture Pet Detective. Trio. <laughs> <laughs> But we watched this movie so much. And then I'm with Ron when it started getting put on like VH1 every day. Um, I watched it a lot then too, but I loved it. And, you know, when it came out at the time, of course, we swooned over all the cute boys in it. But as I'm sure the boys swoon over the Liv Tyler and the Charlize Theron. And yeah. <laughs> but it was, but it was one of our favorites then. And it's, remained one of mine i haven't seen it for a really long time so coming back to it i'm glad that it it held up it's still still great 
Well, I, I'm the only person of us that actually saw it in the theaters. I went and saw this because this kind of music, again, was something that my parents both were really into, my dad in particular. So I grew up listening to these kind of bands and this kind of stuff. And when we saw the trailer for it, I was like, oh, I've got to see that. Because at the time, I was in like garage bands and stuff. And so it's always fun to go like, oh, let's go and live that action. And the other thing that always amazed me is like, oh, it looks like these guys are actually like trying to pantomime and play along. And I found out years later that they actually learned how to play together and steve zahn's actually a, a really good guitar player anyway and and uh, i think jonathan shack had played some before but like ethan Ibery and tom everett scott had never played before they learned they like went through rock and roll boot camp to learn how to do it and i was always amazed at the way that they they shot it all and that song just i, I thought man for like a you know, 90s band and it's Fountains of Wayne. Adam Schlesinger wrote that, you know, right before they, they really broke with Stacy's mom and all that action they, to really capture that and found out later he did it as part of like a contest that the studio had. And I was like, this it's so meta. Like this, this movie is so meta because this was in the era of like post scream and all that. And people talk about like what scream influenced in terms of horror movies, but it also influenced a lot of other stuff like meta comedy, meta commentary became a thing forever in all kinds of pop culture in the late nineties through the two thousands. And so, and I just thought it was neat because I was a big Tom Hanks nerd and you can go back in the film strip archives there's a movie i reviewed with Irina years ago called nothing in common and there's like this little character trait that tom hanks's character has in that where he's always drumming on something when he's trying to think and i had read in the early days of imdb that like oh tom hanks is actually a drummer and he just you know did that as kind of a thing and so I, when i saw like, oh tom hanks is writing a drummer movie okay i'm down you know because i play have played every instrument in a band except the drums like i cannot do it i can't get my feet and hands to work right i just no. like maybe if i had the rick allen action i could just do it with my fingers i don't know I, I can't make that work but i've never played the drums but having grown up and played in a lot of bands and stuff like i said and what my dad was into i i love this movie and it was so cute and so i bought it on vhs when it came out it was one of the first sell throughs i got my hands on and man, i wore the tape out I, I watched it all the time in college with friends and stuff and then the bands i was in we would watch it together i don't know why we were trying to draw inspiration for that because we were not playing any of this kind of music but uh it was a lot of fun and and so i've, I've thought about this movie for a long time and don't know how many times I've seen it. I've seen pieces of it forever because like y'all say, it was on VH1 sort of in rotation for years. And But it had been a few years since I went back and visited it. And uh, like I said, Brian, you and I we have been talking about doing this for, for years because we both have played music a lot and stuff. And so well, let's get the whole band together here and, and do this. And it's fun to think about a movie like this that mints people that have had 20 something year careers and things like all these young stars you mentioned Liv Tyler and Charlize Theron they, they were nobody at this point like Liv Tyler was the girl in her dad's videos but having her in the movie like legitimized it in some way because it was like you have rock and roll royalty in the movie you know and playing a style of music that Steven Tyler would never play but you know sure and and uh, I didn't know who Charlize was until sometime later probably Reindeer Games or some you know piece of trash like that or devil's advocate, you know, something along those lines. But um, I, I was always amazed too, though, that Tom Everett Scott, they cast someone who was such a dead ringer for Tom Hanks, even though he's like a foot taller. I was like, man, like he really looks like a young Tom Hanks. And I didn't know who any of these other people were, but of course I've seen them all in things for years. And uh, it's just fun to watch a movie that's got an ensemble like this, where you know all the faces and then you get to see them for years and do things. So yeah, that's, that's my background with that thing you do. And, 
course, you know, like a lot of people, I had the soundtrack and wore it out and I even, you know, queued it up on my Spotify the last couple of weeks as we were getting ready to do this just to revisit some of it. And it it's funny how much it holds up. You mentioned Liv Tyler. Um, she had actually had a couple big film roles before this. Um, Empire Records was one. Yeah, that's one you did. Yeah. That one mm-hmm. yeah, really made her a name after the Aerosmith videos. Obviously, those were the ones. Um, Stealing Beauty was a big one for her. Yeah. And then uh, Inventing the Abbots came out after this, but those were three really big films for her, I think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think having her in the film was one of the reasons I watched it. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I was a huge Liv Tyler fan. And wasn't Ethan Embry the bass player? Wasn't he in um, Empire Records too? Yes. Yep. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what it was. The whole time I was watching that movie, I was like, wait, what movie am I thinking of? Mm-hmm. And that's the one. And Giovanni yeah. Ribisi and, and Tom Robert Scott would both have roles in a, in a movie I really like called Boiler Room that was a few years after this. It was in mm-hmm. the early 2000s. I actually think is kind of a more Gen X version or the later Gen X version of Wall Street, which is kind of cool. But. If you ever want to see what Vin Diesel looks like with hair, watch Boiler Room. Yes. <laughs> Vin Diesel is a stockbroker. Like it's, it's, it's kind of wild, actually. He's actually really good at it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fun. But my college had a a bus that we could take to travel to things, and they had an onboard entertainment system with a DVD player. But the DVD player had broken. The only DVD that you could play because it was stuck in the machine was Boiler Room. <laughs> I have watched Boiler Room several times on long bus trips. Uh, we'll have to revisit that sometime down the line because <laughs> that's too good. Because that's a, that's a way to watch this movie is on a bus uh, for sure. Because I think half the movie takes place on a bus um, and things like that. And this movie does too. Oddly enough, there's a lot of bus in this movie. As we'll we'll get to, but uh, you know, I guess before we go any further, Ron, I'm going to pitch it to you. Tell the folks what that thing you do is all about. Jay, you've wasted thousands of podcasts. <laughs> it all started with a broken arm. Four friends from a sleepy town nestled on the shores of Lake Erie. The band that would become the Wonders was going nowhere fast. Then, as the Chinese would say, a crisis turned into an opportunity. Exit the original drummer with a broken arm. Enter guy Skitch Patterson. The jazzy backbeat carried the band often called the O'Neaters from a college battle of the bands to the big time. That college gig caught the attention of Villa Piano's Pizza Parlor, which got the band a regular gig. The fans came slowly, but they came. With it came $1.45 singles of the song that would be the band's signature hit, That Thing You Do. You know, I, I really like those Jimmy and the Herdsman albums. I mean, they're good stuff if you're in the mood for that lover's lament, weepy sort of thing. There's a reason those albums sold so well, you know what I'm saying? But if you want something that will still get people up and dancing, then you got to go with The Wonders, and it's got to be that thing you do. Nothing else in Jimmy Mattingly's discography even comes close. With that success comes the band's first manager, Phil Horace. Yeah, I was looking around for the talent there, and I found those boys, uh, you know, playing at the pizza parlor. I thought they was so good, I almost dropped my water ice. With Horace's help, the band started getting local radio in Pennsylvania and a big rock and roll showcase that goes horribly. But that doesn't deter the band, who meet with Playtone Records impresario Mr. White and immediately become the newest stars in the Playtone galaxy. 
I worked for Soul Siler and Playtone for 30 years, and I've seen a lot of acts. Freddie Fredrickson, Diane Dane, the Chantrellines, you name it. So Mr. White brings in this 45 and puts it on. Says it's this band out of Pennsylvania called the O'Neaters. The name? Terrible. Fucking garbage. But that song? Huh. That song was something special. Playing the packed state fairs and rising up the bill, the wonders are united by only one thing. The music. With every passing week, that thing you do climbs the charts and the presser grows. Singer and songwriter Jimmy is pushing to return to the studio. Backbone Guy is hobnobbing with his jazz heroes. Guitar hero Lenny is chasing skirts and bass player TB is just looking to get to Disneyland before he ends up in Vietnam. I'm not sure what was harder, keeping Lenny away from the tables or keeping TB away from the Chantrellines. The day of the band's triumph, a national television appearance on the Hollywood Television Showcase, things start to go wrong. If you ever see that appearance on the Hollywood Television Showcase, you can tell that something's off. It's not Wolfman's fault, I'll tell you that much. There's clear tension between Guy and Jimmy, as we know there was a good reason for that. TB doesn't show up for the gig and is replaced by a session musician. Lenny is preoccupied with a blonde-haired playboy bunny. Skitch's late nights finally caught up with him. But it's a little television Chiron that makes all the difference to lead singer Jimmy, who blows up at their manager, his bandmates, and the band's costume designer slash his girlfriend, Faye. The release of the unauthorized biography of The Wonders, Thousands of Kisses, revealed a lot about the tension between Jimmy, Guy, and Faye. It's almost as if their breakup comes out of nowhere, like a drop subplot edited out of a movie. With Jimmy and Faye's relationship blown up, so blows up the band. At the height of their fame, the wonders collapsed. But not all was lost. TB earned two Purple Hearts in Vietnam and works as a building contractor, possibly for the Magic Kingdom. Lenny's love of loose slots and looser women earned him a position as a manager of a casino in Laughlin, Nevada. Jimmy, the serious and dedicated songwriter, carved out a career as the lead singer of The Herdsman collecting three gold records with Playtone before becoming an esteemed record producer. Guy and Faye got married and had four children. Guy's now a respected jazz drummer and teacher at the Puget Sound Conservatory of Music, which he founded. He's still Spartacus, and he's still leading the way. No, that's that's a good plot summary run. I'm glad you did it in that style because that is so perfect for how this goes. Because I think if the one of the other things I was obsessed with in the late '90s into the 2000s was behind the music. I think we all sort of off mic have talked about our obsession with that, and I feel like our generations are really the ones that got into the behind the scenes of things. And I feel like this movie works in a lot of ways because we do have a cultural obsession with just knowing like how the sausage is made, you know, and how it all comes together and and picking it apart. And the funny thing is, as much like if you see how the sausage is made, you realize like, Oh, how corporate and sort of disheartening all of it really is. It's, there's not a lot of artistry sometimes where you think there might be, but uh, you know, in the kernel of all of it is some, tortured genius who's pissed at his girlfriend because she loves him too much or some nonsense <laughs> but, but yeah 
that's that's where this lives. Um, I want to start with just how they set this whole thing up with Erie, Pennsylvania. And Lindsay, you're I know you're in a different part of Pennsylvania, but you're our resident Pennsylvania now. So congratulations <laughs> for being elected on everything about Pennsylvania. I New mean, Jersey, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing though. We're like right yeah, there. So you're, like, you're, you're next door. It's the same. Yeah, so yeah, they are. You're in they Eagles gear now. Neighbors. It's all good. Yeah, I know. But, but I, do, I do love that they set up this scene. And I got to say, they did a great job of set decorating all of this stuff and putting it in moment. And I love that little tune that it starts off with that little doo-woppy loving you lots and lots. Like that just reminds me so much of like all the little bubblegum kind of you know, pop of the day. And I, I just, I thought it was so funny. Uh, and, and we get to meet guy and his whole family works in the, you know, the big cell phone department store and they're sort of shade at Walmart moving into town. How much that sucks. Yeah, the the little, I don't know, I don't think it's like a scratch and dent, but the appliance store that they work at, mm-hmm. there's still plenty of appliance stores around here. Like that did not die. That's still very much a thing. <laughs> Actually, our, our washing machine came from once. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Got a great deal. But no, the, the whole setup, the whole, um, you know, vibe the family-owned store i love the interactions between like the dad as the boss mm-hmm. <laughs> and and all of all of all of his little dadisms that what did he say cooking the books i'm cooking the books dad yeah exactly when he was just in there listening to music but i don't know yeah, we, like we see guys' daily life is just pretty much going through this with his family, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And then when they all leave at night, he's there to, you know, balance the accounts or whatever. But he also, you know, puts on his favorite jazz piano player, Dale yeah. Paxton, and drums alongside of it. It's where you really get to see Tom Everett Scott, like, show off what he learned how to do. And all of that is Tom Hanks, like, creating. Like, he created the whole, what is known as the I Am Spartacus drum riff. And I don't know, I thought it was cool. It's just very different and you know it's it's funny to think about like if you go and listen to a lot of those groups from that day how much of their backbeat were guys that played like more classical music or played jazz and stuff like that and then worked it into the rock and roll of the day like that was part of the the mystery of the beatles was that their backbeat was so not what you would expect from a band of the day and it's what revolutionized rock and roll for you know decades I mean, there's a there's a reason that um, Kiss was a such an enormous band because their drummer was also a jazz guy, Peter Chris. Mm-hmm. Yep, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, but if you listen to Paul, Peter Chris never learned how to play the drum. <laughs> <laughs> also true. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how good of a jazz drummer he was, but <laughs> yeah. But it's a fun introduction to him. And I do think it's funny, though, that for as he seems to have it together and then his dad has to call him and go like, why are the lights on? Are we open all night? And, you know, giving him hell about that. Oh, over yeah. and over again. Yeah, no, well, and, yeah. it's like a running gag. And, but he's also, are you also, are you, are you playing one of those on the, on the store hi-fi? I'll, I'll turn that off, too. 
Yeah, he'll turn it off. Yeah, but you know, but this is funny. Is like you're looking at somebody who's not a teenager. He's obviously in his twenties. We'll learn later. He's been in the army. He's back home. You know, all this stuff. Like all these people are. I think Ethan Embry's character is probably the one that's like right out of high school. But everybody else is in their early twenties. You you can gather, and this is what life was at the time. Is just oh, oh yeah, I'm still a kid though. Like I still you know deal with my folks and all this other stuff. And I don't know. I just thought I thought it was fun. It's a quaint way to kind of introduce us to him as a character. And I got to give Tom Everett Scott a lot of credit here. He had been on like a recurring part on a TV show. Like he had done nothing when they cast him and Rita Wilson, Tom's wife, uh, who plays one of the the barkeeps in, in LA later on is the one that told Tom Hanks to cast him. She said, he looks like you. He's cute. And so he's like, well, that'll, that'll, that'll sell the tickets to your things. <laughs> so, but I do think he does. He gives a really neat performance and he's kind of fun because I think it's, uh, it's Giovanni Rubisi the next morning at the breakfast at the diner that calls him like Erie's lone beatnik, you know, cause he is kind of in that, that, that era. And I don't know. I just, I just thought it was, it was fun the way he comes in. Well, he's wearing like a black turtleneck when we meet him. So that yeah. is, <laughs> that is movie code for beatnik. And he's yeah. driving that little MG, that little mini car. It's, you know, Lindsay, you're probably taller than that car he was in, which is funny. He could fit in it. So yeah, <laughs> he's so friggin' tall. <laughs> but. I love the scenery in this, in the beginning here, the, the cars, they really did a great job of, of building this 1950, late fifties, early sixties set. And I thought it was just kind of cool. And then, the shop is really neat too because it's like a, it's one of those. I've got every kind of electronic and appliance you need right here. You know, alarm clocks and clock radios and big, you know, those big uh, turntable um, chests that they used to. Yes, have, my right? parents had one like that. Yes, yeah, they got those. They got washing machines and vacuums up the wazoo it's just a really cool look at that and my favorite part of the uh, that whole era is when the the sister's reading the newspaper and he looks at the ad for the <laughs> the big store yeah he starts reading off i don't think i want to live in a world where one can't shine his own shoes and needs a polishing kit <laughs> yes <laughs> let's just put that away huh yeah i don't want to live in a world where i gotta work on sundays mama why don't we just put that oh, yeah. away <laughs> He is the daddest dad I have ever seen <laughs> on film. That, that guy clearly understood the assignment <laughs> when they hired him to be, to be that. I mean, it, it is perfect the way he, he plays it off. And it's, um, I, I got such a kid. Holmes Osborne is his name. He's Mr. Patterson. And he is just so, yeah, he's like you said, Lindsay, he's just the perfect dad. So. But he's got this Ozzy and Harriet thing going on, right? But he's also kind of sinister because he's sipping his gin and tonic at night, and he's kind of he's got his like smoking jacket on and the shag carpet and all that at home, as we'll see. It's just kind of funny, but but you, you get Guy's family, and then again you meet the rest of the Wonders and Faye, you know everybody else the next day at the diner. And I think it's neat the way they introduce all of them. You got Jimmy the talent, you know, as Mister White will call him later, and clearly he is. He's always trying to think of a name, and I, I just got transported back in time to my bands sitting around in the garage or wherever we were, trying to come up with names for a band, and just writing the most random shit down on a piece of paper, and going like, yeah, and and having arguments about like, no, but you say it like this, and all of that. I, I got a kick out of that, and then. 
Steve Zahn is such a comic goofball and it's so fun. Um, he can play other things too. I mean, you ever seen that movie, the perfect getaway? He's like, he's got a real interesting role. And then him and Timmy, the Oliphant kind of switch playing sinister and comedy off of each other, but he's funny. And then Ethan Embry's just sort of being the sweet little boy next door who never gets a name. And it's become like a thing. And people have asked him so long, he finally made one up and people are like, no, it can't be that. And so he just gave up, but and then Liv Tyler sitting over there, of course, being all Liv Tyler at the moment. And I don't know, it's, it's neat to the it could be screenwriting one on one, but it reminds me a lot of the way like Back to the Future sets up the family and the dynamic and the friends and things. Brian, when we reviewed that, we talked about like how each character, like you knew immediately what they were all about and kind of what their motivation was in their opening scene. And that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, but to, Hanks does a really good job with that here, and I think the the actors also do a great job sort of pitching themselves into these roles. I agree. I, I really like how they each had very different personas, mm. right? Like very different. The shy bass player, uh, TBP. Uh, you got, you know, Jimmy, who's the arrogant, um, do it my way or the highway type thing. He keeps going back as they're trying to come up with a name. He keeps going back to his herdsman. herdsman, herdsman. <laughs> Keep going back to the herdsman. Yeah. Trying to push that name on on everybody which they don't do eventually and he gets it in the end but you know whatever and then you got um the guitar player lenny who is all about you know having fun doesn't care like you know when when guy kicks into the drums and starts playing it really loud he's like this is awesome (laughs) jimmy's all like what the hell are you doing (laughs) You know, he's just out there to have a great time, you know, pick up chicks and, and just have fun. So what you're saying and is he is the Bobby doll of, the, of this group. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, Bobby doll or the Brad Michaels, <laughs> interchangeable here, you guys. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, it, it's just awesome how they all just have such a different dynamic and how that brings it together to build this band. And yeah, I like that introduction of everyone and then of course Faye too yeah she's kind of the girlfriend who's there to cheer him on but doesn't really get the recognition from her boyfriend that she deserves throughout the movie at all yeah can I get the sense that like all of these people grew up together and it's not said, but like I said, I think Ethan Embry's playing the youngest one and he might have been in real life mm-hmm. I don't know but he's playing a, a younger person than them and i kind of felt like he's sort of like the kid brother of like one of their friends from school or something and you know they you need a bass player so having been in a lot of bands where you had to find the bass player you just grab anybody and go i mean you know not everybody has tokens living next door like cartman is grab a bass and play so you got to find somebody and so he just makes it up as he goes and um and then you have you have giovanni rubisi who is a small role but just playing like the biggest asshole in the world is the drummer but he's but he's such an idiot but he's perfect for that like he's such a good dude and that's hard to pull off but he does it well but he's like a lovable dude yes, right he's yes. not he's not an unlikable character at all he's really fun to watch and right before he breaks his arm and you see him like in the background just yeah. goofing yeah. off like you know guys and player, yeah. yeah like just doing stupid stuff yeah, and then oh job. my bad i broke my arm yeah, j- jumping fine. over uh, parking meters with ethan Embry and just having well, the fun. part is too is that he's with the family of guy throughout the rest of the movie yeah like he takes they, the guy's place <laughs> he, he, becomes yeah. the, he becomes the new sales guy at the mm-hmm. at the store he's over there for dinner he's I, over I there think, i think him and the sister are together yeah too, that's right? always kind of what i assume i think my I mean, favorite yeah. part about that is that he never got 
like salty about like that should have been me i should have been the famous drummer like he was just as happy as everybody else was to see it happening i think that he probably thought that once his arm finally healed he'd be back right maybe yeah yeah. that's my take on it because he came to the shows and cheered him on and he was like, no, you're going too fast. <laughs> what, what, what I love about him is that, it, uh, and Steve Zahn just eviscerates him in one line when they're trying to recruit Guy after he breaks his arm at the store. And he, he or at, he's, I think he's even at the diner or whatever. And he said, like, oh, I don't know, is Chad going to play Wipeout? He's like, mm, every song is Wipeout to Chad. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I know that drummer. I've played with that drummer. I understand your pain. So, but it's, it's one of the only serious moments Lenny has. But you can tell, like, that's the funny thing about him and jimmy is jimmy's like the serious artist you know and he's into he's really into like his pensive moody (laughs) music and lenny's the one yeah bro anybody gonna buy that like nobody can dance that but lenny's just as talented he's just goofy and and lenny's the kind of guy that would drive you nuts because you don't know how he's playing when he's playing he just does (laughs) you know he's just good and apparently that is steve's on like he can just play and they thought that was funny and he i don't know he's He's such a good element here, but it's it's cute how they get them together. But I love when they're rehearsing in the garage, and poor Ethan Embry over there is like giving this whole performance like he is counting in his head. You can hear him going three, four, one, two, like trying not to get off beat with that bass line, <laughs> yeah. which is so weird because you watch. I mean, they play that song like ten times in the in the movie, but later in the movie he is like jamming the hell out of that song before they get the big studio guy to come in and, and play bass. Like he's really learned how, like learns how to play well, but early on like they suck, and the song is just so. Blah, <laughs> and funny, and you see a guy just sitting over there, and in his head, I, I mean, we've watched this movie enough now. I'm going like, is he sitting there plotting that he's going to speed this shit up when they get to the talent show? Because he, he oh, confesses yeah. later that like he was just nervous, but I'm like, that's bullshit, man. You playing this mm-hmm. when you're in the garage? <laughs> you could tell he planned it too. Yeah, he's definitely he was sitting there at the end, going, "Okay, that's that's the one song, right? Okay, all right, got it." I think what you're seeing with the bass player is um, sort of a growth of, of self-confidence because mm. he starts out really just kind of like uh, mousy and quiet, but he kind of grows into trying to, you know, dancing around like he's in the the playing with, uh, you know, Isaac Hayes or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt? He gets better and everything. Yeah, and I, yeah. what's neat is I, I think I've, it's funny we're all in agreement on that. That guy is sitting over there, Kaiser Sozaing all these people because he's like, yeah, <laughs> we're not, we're not playing this at the Mercyhurst Talent Show. I'm gonna tell you right now, bro, this will die. And I, I, I mean, you're a drummer, and that <laughs> is probably the most boring thing you could ever. I mean, play he's barely even like he's just clicking his his snare. He's not even playing it. And uh, but what I love is that when they do the talent show and we get to see the other acts, and I don't know what that like the first girl group, like the, <laughs> the children laughing and I just die. Like, you know the one girl, this. <laughs> you know the one girl in the audience, like really vibing with that yes. folk band. Yes, yes. <laughs> My Brian looks at me and he goes, "That's totally your mom." <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, it is though, like one hundred and ten percent. It's just my vibing with the Joan Baez hippie chick. 
if she's not, yeah, she would have either been on stage with that band or the chick that was like really, really, you know, like, man, this is a real banger they're playing. Like, let's, <laughs> but you can feel it. God, it's like the jerk audience member who's really the voice of like the yeah. buying audience. I don't know. I've seen this guy in a bunch of things. I think, I think I've seen him killed in a few horror movies of the day, but he, he's, He's yelling. He's just like, oh, God. And then they get to, like, the mariachi band up there. <laughs> and, like, everybody's into that. The <laughs> boys are into that one. <laughs> and I was like, I know some guys I went to college with that would vibe with that, too. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that would work. Um, the fan. I, I felt for the guy that had to MC though, and, like, it's not going well behind you because I've been that person. <laughs> and you're up there <laughs> trying to, like, you keep going. I never had anybody, like, you know, heckle me like that. But it – I. It took me back to the days when I was the ring announcer for that wrestling league in, in North Alabama, and the guy, the boys would be late in the back, and they're like, "Dude, go out there and stall." I'm like, "What? What am I supposed to say?" And like, Grandma is just giving it to me from the front row, and I'm going, "Please, God, get out! Give me the signal from the back to bring these guys out. I'm dying out here." But uh, I, I did love that guy though when he was getting heckled enough. He's like, "Shut up! We'll kick your ass!" You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That uh, that super fan is an actor named Sean Whalen who is most famous to me as being the dude in the very first Got Milk commercial who can't answer the question about Alexander Hamilton. That's him! Wow. Oh, okay. Holly Holly pointed that out to me, and it clicked immediately in (laughs) where I knew this guy from. That is so... Revenge of the Nerds 3, he was in Batman Returns, he was in uh, The People Under the Stairs... He's one of the people under the stairs. That's where I know him from is people under the stairs. Yes. But, oh, that's, that's awesome. That's funny that Holly remembered that so vividly too. He is also in the great, uh, the great 1994, um, horror movie question mark, Tammy and the T-Rex. Which I'm, is definitely something we should do on the show. That just stay tuned on that one because I'm I'm in just from the title, but but no, I love that they're trying to set all this junk up and nothing is going right. And I, I love, I did love the guys like, are y'all ready to go? No, and Jimmy's like, no, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I, I, I've been in this moment, Brian. I was going to see if you've ever been in this moment where your drummer starts playing a song and like they they are playing it way too fast. And you're like, oh crap, what do we do? And you just have to go with it. <laughs> so my band was playing it like one of these talent showcase things once we're supposed to be showing off for i don't know potential record executives whatever is garbage but the, we got out to play our opening song and it was so freaking cold outside we couldn't feel our hands and our drummer started our opening song which was a three and a half minute song we played it in two minutes and 12 seconds uh, so, and we blew through that thing <laughs> i was like well i now know how that thing you do felt because yeah yeah. You know, my uh, my buddy ran a tight ship, so uh, the drummer was not allowed to go too fast. And if he was, he would literally get in his face and be like, "You slow that shit down now!" Wow. <laughs> I think he would have if he had the moment, but uh... it, it uh, well, you know, this is the same drummer who, in the middle of an Almond Brothers track, was eating a sandwich <laughs> while playing and checking his phone. I. I will also give a shout out to the late, great Stuart Rice from my band in college who would sit back while we're trying to jam out songs and we'd be reading like Kurt Vonnegut novels in between you know, his backbeat. But he never got off beat, so we couldn't yell at him. But he would literally have a, a book in his hand with his, with his snare hand and he could just read it. 
Yeah. So crazy. guys that have got the rhythm, man, can do it. But I, I, but you know what? I'll, I'll say this about Guy. Whether he did it on purpose or he's nervous, he's damn right. Because that makes that song a complete moment when he hits that backbeat. Well, you know what I like about it, too, is that Jimmy's trying to sing it melodically. Yes. <laughs> like the slow version <laughs> as they're jamming the crap out of yes. that song. And you're like, oh, come on, dude. Uh, get it going and he's just like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> over it. and it's just like oh man you know what it, <laughs> but it's still up. it still hits and that's what's oh, neat yeah. to watch the evolution of the song is but really by the end too it's really when they're playing one of those night fair things it's probably the best version of the song they're just jamming the hell out of it the showcase one is like the polished one but like the most rocking version is when they're really they're really tight and they've got it together at that later fair gig and I mean, Jimmy's just wailing the hell out of it. And I'm like, okay, he finally leaned into it. But mm-hmm. I, I have this theory about Jimmy and that song is that he wrote it and he liked it until it changed. And then he hated it. <laughs> and so he hated his own song because he was always about that B-side thing, which has the most preposterous name ever. All my only dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As, as uh, Tom Hanks yeah, calls it, that lover's lament crap. So. Yeah, and that's all he ever brought to the table, right? Mm-hmm. All he ever brought was uh, was the lover meant crap and the slow, you know, ballady stuff. He never brought anything big. So, but but he comes I, around yeah. because the song that you hear over the end credits is called "I Need You," that thing you do, and that's Jimmy and the Herdsman. Apparently, that was his follow up, and so he actually wrote a song about his song. That he realized yeah. he did he wouldn't have had a career if it wasn't for that. So it's kind of a neat little in, inside story thing. But yeah, you're right, Brian. When he's trying to sing that so slow and like all of that shit is jamming by. <laughs> but you saw the crowd, and it was so neat. So you had the one girl that like you talked about the girl that was vibing with the Joan Baez girl. That was that other girl that started doing the surf rock dancing like immediately. Like she was in it, and then everybody else came, and that's when every dude in the house went to the front because they're like, "Uh oh, all the girls like this stuff." And <laughs> I remember playing the Fiji House, and the guys told us, "Dudes, we don't care what you play; just keep our women moving and happy." <laughs> and we're like, 10 four, no problem." Yes, sir. That is the rule of the bar, yeah. you know. Proud Mary, the women <laughs> get the women up there, and the men will buy more and more beer. That that. Is exactly the rule, but I I love that talent show gig, and like you said, Chad shows up with this humongo cast. He's oh, guys, too fast, man! That poor guy bumps into him, and he sets a slink out of the back. <laughs> but what y'all make of Tina, though? Uh, guys, uh, girlfriend Charlize Theron, who is very much not interested in being there at any time whatsoever. How long is this going to be? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out why she was dating him in the first place, because she right. strikes me as the type of girl that you know, dates up. Hadn't, and, hadn't met the yeah. dentist yet would be my guess. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the dentist is definitely a better fit for her, but the whole time I was like, what's her, what's her end game here? Like, why did she, is it cause he was in the army? Maybe she met him in uniform or something like that and fell that way. That might be it. I think I just answered my question, but yeah. I was thinking maybe she thought there was a little bit of money behind that appliance store. Mm. Maybe. That's what she was interested in. And they they bring Erie, Pennsylvania as a small town, right? Mm. They they treat it as a small town. And I don't know what the population was in the 50s and 60s, but I think that 
you go with what's there. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah. there's a cut scene in one of the director's cuts, which I wouldn't recommend anybody to see because the stuff that got cut needed to get cut. <laughs> but it, it, there's a scene where him and Tina are talking about like the future of the store and like moving it to a shopping mall and stuff. So like, she, yeah, I think she definitely had designs on the store and they just cut all of it, but she had a lot bigger role for a little while, but they ended up cutting it. He was her. really into appliances. <laughs> I mean, that's her jam. I, you know, uh, it worked for uh, Allie Larder in Varsity Blues. So whatever. <laughs> I'm getting spin cycle and go. (laughs) Also one to stay tuned for. How have we not done that yet? But anyway, (laughs) but yeah, I, I love, I love though that after it's over with knowing that she's all into this, you know, because they're driving home and he's of course, you know, geeking out because I've been that guy where you have like a really good gig and you get excited about it or whatever. And I, they're talking about on the way home and she's like, yeah, I'm going to go watch you play. Uh, She's, she's totally into it for a little while, which I thought was, was funny. I mean, I, I got a kick out of, uh, the, the way she came around once they, they had a little bit of notoriety, you know, I think she's into the fact that he's famous. Yeah. He's, he's more than local famous into the music. Right. Yeah. But then it's time to start playing for pizza at uh, Villa Pianos. And uh, mm. the point I want to make about the pizza thing is when we first see them going there, what are they doing? They're not playing that song. Jimmy's on a stool being pensive, playing his <laughs> ballad and, the guy in the back is going, can you please play something I can dance to with a girl, please? Not this garbage. Yeah, I did. The fan. A fan. Yeah. And I, I did. And they kick it off and play it. And then all of a sudden, of course, it's a big hit and they, they make the money off of it. And that leads them to do what every band wants to do, which is we should record. And I, I, lo- I, I am a Chris Isaac Mark. I love his whole thing that he's like from a different era, but he's modernish or whatever. I, you know, everybody, I, of course, everybody my age, every dude knew Wicked Game backward and forward, probably the video as much as the song. But I love his stuff. And the fact that he comes in as Uncle Bob, the church organ recording guy. And they, they record that in that church. But I love how he's got that whole like reel to reel setup and everything. And him and Liv Tyler are over there clapping along. And you see the song starting to build this life. And I remember what it was like recording something and producing copies of it for people to buy. And just how cool you thought you were. Like, we freaking made it, man. We have, we had, a, my first man had like a three song tape you could buy for $4. And we thought we were the coolest thing ever when somebody would buy that crap at, at a gig we'd play. It never changes, man. It's still cool when someone buys your shit. I look, look, we've been doing this podcast a long time. People still download this somehow, and I'm going like, "Yes, thank you." you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. There's, there's like a cool charge to it. Ron, I mentioned for you, it's like the first time you get you published and things like that. All the the writing you've done through the years. Oh man, yeah, that was <laughs> that, that was a huge deal. Like the the first time I was in. Not necessarily online, because I had been writing online for years before anybody paid me to do it. But, but the first time I got put in a magazine, and I could like open up the magazine and flip the, the thing I wrote, that was just it was amazing. It was better than all the drugs. <laughs> and Lindsay, I mean, all the times you've been on a playbill, and goodness sakes, you're still doing it. I mean, it's got to be some bit of a charge to get to do that still. I am. Got a first show tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> So we've all been there and we feel it. And that's where we bring in their first manager. And Brian, I know you have hashtag thoughts about this dude. So so please jump in. Well, I mean, first off coming in there with a, a a big camper, bringing guy out there and being like, no, you come out here, come out here. And then be like, why don't you step into my office? Creepy vibes go up 
big time. Now, maybe not in the 60s, but today, yeah, we, you we don't include Ted do Bundy that. was in 1964, so there was no reason to be oh, afraid. God. I just got this in my office. Is this camper on the back of my truck? Why don't you come on in while I open the door and tell you all about the music world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> music is like. It's like a good stew. All the pieces <laughs> have to come together. And his oh. stew does not look like a good no, stew. No, that looks like a terrible <laughs> stew. Foreshadowing. <laughs> and I like that, uh, you know, they're going through it all. And this is, you know, throughout the whole thing, right? Jimmy's the serious guy. And the rest of them are there to, like, have some fun. And he's telling everything that they want to hear. But Jimmy's just like, I don't know if I want to sign anything to do with my music. Yes. Right? And they're all like, oh, shut up. He's going to get his gigs. And he's got this really cool, you know, camper. <laughs> yeah, I, love, I love Lenny. He's like, this nice man in a camper wants to pay us to play. We're all signing. Everybody's signing now. <laughs> yeah. So that was funny. But, man, just the whole setup was hilarious. Like, you, you're going to sign with this guy who runs everything out of his home, mm-hmm. which is a camper. But you know what, though? It reminded me of, Brian. it reminded me of the stories of, like, the old territory days of wrestling and how guys just kind of ran the business out of their short pocket and stuff. And I was like, you know what, though? Like, to us, it seems like we're really cynical. I'm like, oh, God, no, don't get in the van. You, you'll never be seen again. But in those days, like that was really how that stuff got done. Like, the local talent guy picked it because he got kicked back from the record company for finding talent. He was a talent scout. Yep. And that's how you found him. And I, I just think – I always thought that was it, it was – it was a throwback to a different time when we were less skeptical of everybody's motivations, you know, before all the serial killing, <laughs> before we knew about them every five minutes. And if he really is driving around Pennsylvania doing uh, essentially legwork for these guys, he's going to need a place to stay and he's not going to want to stay in a hotel. That might cost $5. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I can just put 12 cents of gas and go across the entire state in <laughs> that pickup. But no, I, I like, I liked old Horace here. I mean, that, that guy's been in a billion movies. I mean, goodness, you know, see him all over the stuff. Oh, wow. What's his name? I had it right here in front of me two seconds ago. Uh, Horace, uh, Chris Ellis is the the guy's name. Chris Ellis is, you see him in a hundred things. He's like, usually like playing a heavy, which is sort of wild, but he, yeah, he's, he's funny. I, I got a kick out of him. Yeah. And he just ends up being such a nice, caring guy Mm -hmm. that the band clearly likes because they want to stay with him. They don't necessarily want to go to this, you know. Well, because he's got them all these kids. Yeah, exactly. They have a certain sense of loyalty to him. He he gets him on the Pittsburgh thing with Kevin Pollack and his amazing cameo-ness. I love Kevin Pollack. Anytime (laughs) he comes on the screen, he's like, Vicksburg in the Pittsburgh. He's just being such a radio DJ guy. And I I got a kick out of him, though, because he's he's such a great comic. And so all of this is just stand-up that he's doing. And I love that we haven't talked about it enough that like their name is The Wonders, but they're using O-N-E you know trying to be like the Beatles with a beat but everybody gets it right it's the Oneters, the Oneters. they just keep screwing them. and when he's introduced like the Oneters, and like at one point like they just stop correcting people they're like whatever <laughs> let's just play and Jimmy's up there and the mics go bad and I mean if you ever played anywhere Lindsay I'm sure you had this on stage before like everything goes wrong I've had a drum kit all over on me before yeah. hit in the face with a beach ball once it was it was yeah I've been to that nightmare <laughs> it was 
Yeah, it's not a good. Not I've a never time. been hit in the face with a beach ball, Jay. But... <laughs> it, it my guitar solo, I will have you know. But uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so the kids thought I just dropped to my knees as part of the act. No, I was probably concussed. So, <laughs> I just you imagine this in my shows head. It. Uh, Do you want to know what this was? This was at Faulkner University. And if you know where that is, you know why how funny that is. But, <laughs> but, he sounds like he's on like stage 15 of Bonnaroo or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't even have been that good. Holly, Ron, your wife has seen this band of mine play, so she knows how goofy that could be sometimes. But no, I love how everything just goes to hell and they can't get on beat and everybody's off key and, it's, and guy's just so despondent and Phil's just trying to talk him up like, you can't let one bad gig you know ruin your commitment to the band. And he walks him into the Chinese restaurant, and there sits again, like you said, Rod. Probably every agent Tom Hanks ever had up to that moment in his career. And I, I, and I always think it's fun when a director wants to put themselves in their own movies and they want to be a character. Like Clint made a career out of this, right? And it's fine. But there's a certain way you have to do it. You have to just pepper it in just right. And I, I got to tell you, I love this guy. I love this character. I want, I want to know more about him. I have such a good time with the way he's so cocksure and so cool. And he doesn't get offended by anything. You know, he's just like, yeah, sure. Nope. No problem. You want to play the, the Ferris fills your guy, you know, and, and he's offering him this dream. And uh, I don't know. I, I really loved Mr. White. I thought he was a blast. I love Mr. White. I think that uh, I just love that he makes everything sound so much more awesome than it ends up being. Yes. Like they're going to be on the radio. All they get to say is hello. (laughs) Or they're going to be in a movie and it's not them. It's they're playing a character and they don't like it. And, you know, we're going to do this and that. And everything is like built to be this huge thing and it's all like this big disappointment when it gets to it well jimmy doesn't like being in the movie i think the rest of them really like being in the yeah, movie can we talk about the movie for a second though because that's a that's a riff on like frank and annette movies and i grew up watching those with my mom because she was a huge fan of those beach movies and stuff and no record exec worth their salt would have had a, a band with a hit record under a fake name in a movie no it would have been the monkeys playing there's like that thing you do would have been the song on the beach like they would have never let captain geach and the shrimp jack shooters you know be a thing but it's, it's been a private joke between brian and that for years though about, uh, about that I, I do love how when they they are on one of those radio interviews and it's uh you know of course clint howard being his usual weirdness and he's like, who, who are your your uh influences and they're going around the room and Lenny's like Captain geach and the shrimp jack shooters and the look that that tom, tom just gives him like dude what the <laughs> what are you doing? And then, we laughed so hard when he said that. Like I forgot about that. The second he said that, it was just like we lost it. Tears. <laughs> we rewound it. We we backed it up. We had to watch it again. It was so funny. It's a great comedy. But what's even better is when Tom Everett Scott guy starts laying out like all his favorite jazz musicians and stuff. And Clouds going like, yeah, cool, man. Yeah, time to blow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have no idea what this guy's talking never about. Heard of it I don't know who these people are? Get this idiot out of my station. <laughs> See, I have a different take on Clint Howard. I feel like that's the only time he woke up during the oh the yeah. I agree with you. Okay, I think that when, it, when they're talking, he's like, just crap. ignoring them doing DJ things. And then when he starts naming names, Clint Howard, you can visibly see his eyes like raise up and he's like, oh, light up. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so you put it that way. I read it as like, who the hell is this kid talking about? Oh, no. I think he was like, wow, this kid actually knows real good musicians. And I'm here stuck playing this pop crap all day. I read a book once by the drummer of the band Simisonic. And it's a great book about like rock and roll lifestyle and stuff like that. And he talks about like radio interviews. And it really struck a chord with me when I watched this movie again after reading it. Because he said they vacillated between the two things that we see here. Either that you get one second to say hi and you got up at four in the morning to go do it you know or you're being asked a bunch of questions by somebody who doesn't care what you're you're talking about <laughs> and he said it was it was either one or the other it was never in between and i just always thought that was funny because i'm like oh that's just been going on forever it's just the but brian you brought it up like mr white sells him on all this stuff but when they really get to doing it it's not nearly as glamorous as you think it is you know and um you know i, I think there's some truth to that though i mean you know it, it's not nearly as as much fun as you might think it would be. It's a lot of work to be a touring band. And uh, we see them go through that when they're on the fair tour too. Like the, you know, the white gets them all the same suits and stuff. And it, I love when he turns around to him and says like, it's very important. You don't stink today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or every time he sees them, Oh, you guys look great in red or yeah. you look great in gold. Have I told you that? Yeah. You look yeah. Great in this. Well, he's been a good manager. I mean, he's a good, he's a good A&R guy. He's supposed to pump them up. That's his job. And and I love how he's got Faye there. And uh, when he, when he's meeting them and he goes in, when he finally gets them on the contracts, he's like this O-N-E. No, now you're just the wonders. Like he just cuts right through the bull. He's getting them down. And he's, he's like, yeah, you're nice boys, except you, you're the bad one. He gives him his sunglasses and all this stuff. But I love how he, he, where they bring Faye along, he's like, she's, she's sort of my girlfriend. Like Jimmy's such a douche at that moment. He's like, Oh, that's cute. You want her on tour? She's your costume person, but she becomes like useful. Like at some point I I expected him to go like, Faye, you want a real job? Cause these guys suck. (laughs) I think he does give her a real job on the tour. And I think Mm -hmm. he he has her get all these different things for them. And so she kind of becomes like uh, a helper for costuming and all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. So I think he does find value in her and, and uses her uh, more than probably she expected to be. Uh, and she's good at it. And, mm-hmm. good, and I think yeah. he sees that too. So he really warms up to her too, which was nice because at the beginning I was expecting her at some point to be like, Oh, well she's not on tour anymore. Or when she gets like left behind and all the women are crowding around them or crowding around everyone. It's like, Oh, she's not allowed in the thing. And then he goes, no, no, she's with us. And- yeah. Guy goes and gets her and pulls her back into the police mm-hmm. car when they're getting taken away. And so I didn't love too when they are all kind of splitting up because they're on the big tour with all the playtone artists. And so everybody's got like their favorite, right. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. Like the, the chanterlines, I guess sort of the Supremes of the day or whatever of the playtone record, you know, the bass players enamored with them. So he's, he's been you know all over them. And of course, Lenny's just following anything that's, cute and running around and then jimmy's all obsessed with like the the uh, i guess she's maybe in her late 30s 40s former diva pop star the diane dane lady and you know she's telling him all this stuff and gets in his head like she told me it'd be like this you know the woman that wises him up she's so jaded to the rock world and everything but i what i like about it though is that you see the one central character is that guy is the most likable one of all of them as fun as any of them can be and that his personality bleeds onto people so they meet the guy that's like the host of the big tour and he had a song that was like a you know uh, fake James Bond TV oh, theme song, no. Mr. Downtown. And he starts singing it to him. And you can tell the guy's like, oh God, please don't sing the song to him. Yeah. The next scene, he's playing the tune. It's like he brought it back out because he's like, you know what? Let's let's break that one back out. I thought that was cute. It was well, kind of a- I think he was he was kind of like 
yeah, great. You know, he's singing it better than me and get away because he has to sing it over and over and over again. He doesn't need someone else singing it to him. Oh, see, I read it like, when he did it like that. He was really getting oh. into it again because the kids were into it. So No, he's getting into it because that's his stage character. Okay, well, fair. So, fair enough. I don't think he wants to sing that song ever again in the rest of his life, but that's what makes him the money. So that's what he does. <laughs> I mean, you know. It's that... like Warrant with Cherry Pop. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they never wanted to play that damn song ever. <laughs> yep. But they had to because the fans wanted to hear it. Yep, yep, fair. So. Danny Lane went down yeah, as I'm, the cherry pie guy. I'm going to side with Brian on this one too because I felt like it was definitely him. Like, all right, let's get into character. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then getting through the song because yeah. I feel like that would have been the ultimate destination for the Wonders had they were made to band. Yeah, to do a theme oh, song yeah, on yeah, like yeah. a Thunderbirds type show or something. <laughs> no, to to fall slowly down the card of the Playtone tour until they're the opening guys playing their one song. Uh, well, I mean, they, they as they were, they were the middle guys playing their one song, and they ran off stage. I love how like he's coached them so much. Like you run quietly, quickly, orderly off stage. Like they're like they bow and then they just jet. That's <laughs> hilarious. Leave them wanting more. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, he's right though. That, what, what's neat, and and they do such a good job of it. And I really, I give Hanks a lot of credit for shooting a. a a group playing music can be kind of boring looking and you don't know what you're doing. And I love how many times he goes out of his way to show like these guys aren't just Ralph Macchio and Crossroads pantomiming that we made them learn how to play. So even if it's not them actually playing and it's never is, they are playing believable and it's all these overhead shots of the drums and the way that they're doing and close-ups of their hands and stuff and i'm like they're, they're not faking that shit though that's what that really looks like that's really good and i, I appreciate that as somebody who plays music and just watches that for that kind of stuff it's it's rare to find in a music movie you know Unless you have like real musicians. Joe didn't play guitar on Crossroads. He did not. <laughs> I'm sorry to blow that for you, Brian. <laughs> Steve Vai and Ry Ry Cooter say hello, though, by the way. But yeah. So did Tom ever Scott well, right, play well, drums before this now. movie? No. He, neither he nor Ethan Embry ever played anything before this oh, movie. Oh, but he did the thing where he spun the drums. They, they, they spent six months playing together oh, as a group yeah. to get basically get good enough to be a garage band. That's I tried doing that with a pen all the time, and I just <laughs> can't. Uh, you can go on YouTube, and it was several years ago. It was when Adam Schlesinger was still alive. They did a, a bid at a Fountains of Wayne show where they're like, dang it, our drummer broke his arm. What are we going to do? And Tom Everett Scott comes out with Jonathan Shack and Ethan Embry, and the, they all play that thing you do together. Uh, which, and cool. they're pretty good. Like they, they, Tom Everett Scott can still play it. So it's, it was good. Crazy. That's cool. Yeah. I was going to say, one of the mo- reasons why this movie looks so good is because the, choreog- uh, the uh, cinematographer, Tak Fujimoto, Yes, is the cinematographer who is Jonathan Demme's dude. Yeah, he did uh, Silence of the Lambs. He worked a lot in Howard Deutsch, like with Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. and did a lot of the '80s classics. He did Where the Buffalo Roam, which is a great looking movie. Not a great mm-hmm. movie, but a great looking movie. Um, I mean, he yeah. got to start with Terrence Malick. He did Badlands, so that that means he's got some some cachet. Yeah, so it- that's if you want a guy to make something look interesting, it's going to be that guy. No, excellent to call him out because Tak Fujimoto is a, a, an incredible cinematographer. Not a bad actor either. He's, I've seen him in a few roles. He he plays a uh, kind of a precursor to the OJ trial of, of a medical examiner in a, a Harrison Ford joint called Presumed Innocent, which is better than it has any right to be. It's actually pretty good, but um, he's uh, he's good in that as well. But no, great, great callback there, Ron. And as they go, they're getting bigger and bigger. And I love that we keep getting the inserts of the billboard thing and it's going up the charts and up the charts. And Jimmy's so enamored with this. Like he has to tell everybody at the bar about it. 
you know, and you know, I'm like, well, I mean, I would, I'm not going to sit here and say I wouldn't do the same. So, okay. You know, like I understand it's, so, it's one of the few times you see Jimmy get legitimately excited about the fact that this is happening for him. Cause I think of everybody in the band, he enjoyed it the least of anybody. Uh, even though he maybe had the longest music career of any of them when it all was said and done, it, it, it's sort of sad that like, Oh God, it'd be like if, if Darius Rucker hated hold my hand and like resented that he ever wrote that song for Hootie or whatever and stuff like that. Maybe no, I, I have a question. So if you oh, he, the does. he loves it. Yeah. Uh, I have never, I, I watched the movie pretty carefully. I did not see uh, Jimmy take a drink at any point. He does like an alcoholic drink. No, but he does. Everybody doesn't. else does. Yep. Yep. Jimmy is, is, that is because not... he's the uh, straight arrow. Uh, the, 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 the genius. I, he's, he's so serious about his music, Ron. He's just, you know, he can't let it get anything. He's already, he's already sold out to the man. He can't let anything else compromise him, you know, <laughs> even though he's you compromised up the wazoo. That's what's funny about this movie is again, it's so meta commentary about itself is that we're going to be like the real Americana rock and roll band. And you see them when they are, and you're like kind of rooting for them. And then you see them become part of the machine <laughs> and you see that it just destroys them, but it also makes them as famous as they could ever have been. So it's you know six of one half a dozen the other but it's funny to watch that it's like yes let's send up and that's i mean it's also hanks has admitted that like this is not that different than what it's like to be an actor and you know to get get the right movie at the right time and then all of a sudden you've got everything and you just do yeah. all of it you know well for them it happened in like two months that's yeah. it they just blew onto the scene mm -hmm. from like getting onto the radio to now they're actually on the the chart and I imagine, I think it was, um, is it Lapita Nuango was her name? She like blew yes. onto the scene. She came from, no, I mean, not nowhere. She went to Yale for acting, but that was her first film right out of college. And everyone was just like, she won, she won an Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> her first movie. And that shit happens sometimes. And it happens with bands too. I was trying to think of a comparable band or teen heartthrob or something that like just came out of nowhere when I was growing up and I couldn't think of one that I mean I don't know I feel like all the music I listened to never quite hit the charts anyway but I don't know Backstreet Boys maybe Hanson kind of <laughs> came out of nowhere <laughs> I mean but they those it, that this story and I mean uh the the white character says it at the end. It's like, eh, this is a common story. Another one hit mm -hmm. wonder. I mean, that was Tom Hanks's whole muse for this is like, wonder what it was like to be a one hit wonder, you know? And at that point in his career, I mean, you know, Forrest Gump had blew him into a different stratosphere as an actor. Yeah. He's, he's coming off of that and off of, uh, Philadelphia and Apollo 13 and all of that stuff, you know? And so he's about to just be like the most celebrated actor of the time. And, what do you do with that? Well, you tour relentlessly. You never get any sleep and you kind of have to remind yourself why you're doing this. And that's the whole thing. And, and what we see them go through. And I'll give this for Jimmy as much of a, you know, again, kind of douche torture artist as he is. The man does have principles. Like he is good. He wants to stick to his thing. He wants to do a thing. So when they get back in that studio bit, this is, we'll get back to the gig that they play beforehand. But when they wanted, when he wants to record, like every chance they sit down with Mr. White, what is he talking about? 
go to the studio, record a new song, go to the studio, record a new song. And I, I kind of feel it. I'm like, I hear you, man. Like you want to put something else out there. Cause you don't want to just have the, you don't want to be a one hit wonder. Nobody sets out to just be that. And he is desperately trying to not do that. So I got to give him props for that. Yeah. at least. You talk about too, how it ruins the band. I don't think it does. I think the only one it ruins is Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, everyone else is enjoying the ride mm-hmm. all the way through. Now, now, of course, the bass player goes off and does his ar- military thing that he's getting into and kind of is gone. But Lenny is loving every second of it. Guy is loving every second of mm-hmm. it. You, you, throughout the whole movie, everyone is like gun ho. Let's do all this stuff, except for Jimmy. He's the, always the reluctant one. So I think the only one that ruins is Jimmy, uh, mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. this is how he envisioned everything being. Yeah. Everyone else is like, this is amazing. I do think it's a neat plot point that they write the Ethan Embry character. Like when they're doing the whole first bit, when they're signing up with white and he's like, and then we'll go out and do this. He's like, not me. He's like, I'm joining the Marines in August. And he's like, but you'll stay with us till August. Right. Cause you can already see Mr. White going like, okay, who do I know? That's a bass player. <laughs> who am I going to replace this dude with it? He clearly knows the, the, the guy, the he, most straight, boring guy ever too. Like, yeah. Well, he had a real bass player though. A real session. Player, yeah. So yeah. And he could riff. I do like that moment too. When they were like, yeah, but we've never even played with him before. Do we even know he can play? And yeah, then he was like, junior. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he smokes him with that. It's like, okay. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, that'll work. I'd love that. Well, it's like that. I think it's a, it's, um, it's some kind of a Geico commercial or whatever now where like Slash tries out for the garage band and they're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's one of my You're in. Yeah, it reminded oh, cool. me of this. this cool. Yeah, the same thing. But no, I, I do love that they, they're already making plays. But I like that about Ethan Embry's character that he's got got something else to go and do and he's just going to enjoy this because all he wants to do is go to friggin' disneyland and the little like his post captioned animal house thing is that he's a building contractor in florida i'm like that's code for we didn't want to pay for the license but he built disney world kids like that's what that says is that he built a theme park and just works there every day he's an imagineer and I'm like oh, i thought that was it, there's a sweetness to him i think even Embry always plays that character Aww. anyway like uh, I can't hardly wait. It's one of my favorite, you know, teen coming of age movies, and he's awesome in it. And I, I, uh, I don't. I, I love his whole arc that he's going to join the Marines, and when he finally meets some out in California, like all he wants to do is show off for him, you know. And he can actually do it too. Like he's doing the push-ups. They, all right, well, he wants their approval. Yeah, and and they're you know, that, and they end up liking him. Yeah, well, that that's funny okay. though. You talk about that. Yeah. But, because everybody's seeking somebody else's approval. Jimmy's seeking validation from like established artists that want to take him seriously as an artist, you know, guys seeking just, you know, I get I, what he really wants to do is play with somebody like Dale Paxton. Cause he meets him in the bar and he just fawns over him, you know, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. See Rita Wilson is definitely trying to pick him up and she's like, Oh, I just lost you. Okay. You want to go meet mm-hmm. Dale? You know? And so that's who he wants. And Lenny's just trying to find the hottest blonde he can, you know, to have a good time with. And, you know, Ethan Embry, he wants to go hang out with the Marines. So everybody's got their motivation. And it, it's fun to see that because success breeds the avenue to do that. But it's also what starts to splinter them into different places, you know. And that leads us up to the big showcase. And um, I I do love the the cameos in this. Brian Cranston playing, I think, Gus Grissom, you know, giving bad joke drops as, a, as a, an astronaut would. And uh, Peter Scolari, Tom Hanks' his old old uh, acting partner from Bosom Buddies, is the host and all that. But when they, when they do the show, um, 
speaking of uh, Tak Fujimoto, Jonathan Demi's the voice of the director of the TV director doing that stuff. And I had flashbacks to broadcast journalism, like 248 or whatever it was I took, where I had to learn how to do all that crap. <laughs> and what I realized is like, it's a neat way to show a performance of a song that we know, but it's supposed to be like the you know, the, the ultimate moment of, of them performing this song. And most of what we see is from the producer's point of view. It's like tight on that, switch to that camera, slow it down, baby. All right, give me that. You know, they're just going back and forth. And it was a neat way of doing it. Yeah. Did anybody notice who the sponsor was for the Hollywood showcase? Monsanto. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. That, well, there's more meta commentary from Tom Hanks, clearly. Well, that was way before the Monsanto stuff happened. So, yeah, I just think that's hilarious. That is funny. So, oh man, that I love though that there the thing that sets it all, you know, sets the powder keg off is the Chiron. <laughs> and I, I just want to say it's the one nitpick I'm going to have. Jimmy would have he would have to have like laser beam Superman eyes to be able to have seen that read that yeah. yeah like there's no way he, the playback screen would not have been big enough for him to know that like it would, that would have to come to him later down the line um but we've seen jimmy be a jerk a few times but the fight he lays into everybody and the really the way he lays into live tyler is man i wanted her to slug him so hard because oh, she did she, she did verbally him. holy crap yeah well, yeah that's what i was talking about is best, he unloads on her ever. but the way she comes back at him maybe the best breakup i've ever seen in a movie oh yeah and you can see her wheels turning before she's like i need to say something yeah or can i speak whatever her line was and then she just let loose it was a perfectly crafted what, yeah. I felt right. like she had been holding on to that for a very long time and was just waiting for the moment to just drop it. And buddy, when she did, it was on. And I, but you know what? The cool thing about it is she doesn't raise her voice a single time. She doesn't mm-hmm. yell at him. She doesn't cry. She doesn't get hysterical. She just drills him right in the skull with all of those words and you can see everybody's face. Like even behind the sunglasses, like Tom Everett Scott is like going, Holy shit. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, everybody's just blown away by that. It's, it's, it was a heck of a performance. It's when you, at least you can see then, you know, if you'd seen her in empire records or stealing beauty, you knew she had talent, but you could tell like, Oh man, this girl could really bring it. And I don't know. I, I appreciate actors that will go at each other in a scene without being ridiculous or over the top, you know, and Jimmy's supposed to be kind of over the top and, and melodramatic because that's his character and Jonathan Shack nailed it, but then she just buried him and it was, it was perfect. It was really, really good. But I mean, things are starting yeah, to, uh, to come unglued <laughs> at that point <laughs> uh, because the next day in the studio. Which Paxton said was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say the whole the whole thing about that scene is that she doesn't come out of it as a, from a place of anger. She comes out of it of a place mm-hmm. of deep hurt, yeah, disappointment. Yeah, yeah. that's that really is what sells it because she's not like flying off in a rage. She's like, put up with you for two years. You've been treating me like this for months. Uh, you drag me on the road with you. I don't have any friends. I, I don't have anyone I can talk to about this because all of your bandmates are. Off hitting jazz clubs or, or chasing out Playboy bunnies or, or wanting to be a Marine. So I've been holding on to this and it's been festering. 
It's been s- stuck here in me, and I'm going to vent it, and everyone's going to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she didn't do it privately because, of course, he never did anything privately either, and so that that's when they unloaded all of it. They go to the studio the next day, and, of course, Lenny's run off to Vegas to get married in the Chapel of Love, so I'm so happy. <laughs> if only they'd had – I guess it was a little pre to have Elvis marry you in Vegas. That was a few years – Elvis was still with us at that point, so we weren't doing that. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I did think – I was like, yeah, that's where Lenny would wind up. Sure, I'm there. And – and then, of course, the the bass players run off with the Marines to to Disneyland. So he's having a good time, and they're doing they're doing selfies, which I didn't know like people did, but in the sixties. But okay, timer on the camera. We, that, that's not new, but they're doing that. So it's Guy, Jimmy, and Mister White in the studio, and it's where the hell's going on? And I and the the argument is there. Is Jimmy's like, no, I'm not going to do this. And I love all the list of stuff that Mister White says. You're going to play these hits from the Playtone catalog. You get one side per record, but I don't want any this Lovers Lament stuff. I want some I can sell. And you're going to record that thing you do in Spanish. And I, so he just drops that in there, like. Does Jimmy know Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> and they're all gonna be snappy. Yeah, something snappy. And I love I, Jimmy does have a good comeback. Like, fine, I quit. I quit. I quit. <laughs> and he just walks out the door. And to the credit again, and it's in the it's actually in the liner notes of the soundtrack if you want to read it. But it's it's implied in those cutscenes and then in the the post credit stuff is that Mr. White knows like mm, Jimmy's pretty talented dude. I'll probably hang on to him at some point. I can work with that guy. Cause somebody like that, they're, they're going to really give me something. If I can get him in the studio again, this band didn't work, but who cares? You know? And I, I love that he leave poor guy there, but he gives him a compliment because Horace had told him this before too. And he said, you are the smart one. You know, and he lays out what everybody is, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy's the fool or Jimmy's the talent. Lenny's the fool. You're the smart one. And Faye's special, isn't she? And he just looks at him and kind of gives him that note. And it's like, yeah, she kind of is. And so he didn't know what to do with himself. And I love that his, his thing is he starts to play the intro to his song again. And he immediately realizes like, man, I freaking hate this song. <laughs> and he just goes back to playing what he loves. And then in comes cool bill cobb just to be you know mr cool in the studio there and they're they're laying down tracks together which is everybody's dream right you're sitting there and your dream musician walks in and wants to jam my favorite line is that oh i'm just over there recording in studio c with willie walker willie walker can he jam with us too <laughs> just keep this a duo yeah <laughs> but yeah that that is great but but you what you see he runs out of the record studio with all like the the, the reel to reel the tapes and you're like holy cow they must have really laid something down and he runs into fate the hotel and he has the whole bit about like i think i can really make it as a session drummer in, in la i'm gonna stay and they have their goodbyes and i thought it was it was a really sweet goodbye that they had between two people who clearly knew each other a long time. And the, I don't know. I, it's Liv Tyler's second best scene, in my opinion, is where she really, she's trying to tell this guy, I, I love you, but I can't say that to you because it might be weird right now. I thought it was really cool how they did that too, because you could tell she was hoping he was going to do something. Yeah. When, when they talk and then she says goodbye like three times or something like that before. And then she runs into a chair up. on her way out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so cute. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Hey, catch the hint, buddy. Catch the hint. <laughs> yep. And I love the, uh, the doorman at the hotel. Yes. He's an Lamar. Excellent character. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excellent character. And he's kind of like, come on, you know, boy, I've come from the ain't right to leave girls sitting there alone. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I liked how they really built that up at the end there too. Yeah. And I liked how he went up to her and just said, when's the last time you've really been like properly kissed? And she goes, 1961. <laughs> and he was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She knows the exact date. Yeah. And who My Christie's basement or whatever it was she likes on him. Uh, <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> yeah. Well, up until he lays one on her, apparently, because then that's it. She kisses him right back. And it's it's, it's a it's a sweet moment. It really is. And it's this is the kind of movie that needs to end that way. I'm like, yes, it does. And I love that we do get the the interplay cards with all this stuff, you know, and um, what happened to everybody and that, you know, they, they, they raised four kids in California while he was a session drummer. And now they run a jazz conservatory in upper Washington. I'm like two kids from Erie, Pennsylvania went to the West coast and never came back. So uh, even though their parents are like reenacting their Hollywood showcase in their living room (laughs) endlessly. Now I have to, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm incorrect here, but I feel like this, um, this reel at the end where we see, you know, everyone's life story and what happened after the movie. Was that just a big thing for 90s movies in general? I feel like it was. I think so. And I, I think, too, it was I, I heard Hanks talk about it once of why he did it. He said, I felt like I couldn't leave everybody hanging. I wanted everybody to have like the the happy ending. And so he wanted to just give everybody that. He said, you know, you got to remember, I came from sitcoms where everything had a wrap. He said, so you, yeah. had, you had to wrap it up. And he said, I just well, wanted I to think, get rid of the wrap up. You know? I think that was a thing. Movies now, we're kind of left to our own devices to make up the end story in our own heads. And at the time, I mean, it did it with The Sandlot, for example. Mm-hmm. But every time a movie wraps like that now it feels like, oh, wait, was this based on a true story? Right. I need to Google that. Did I miss something? I missed the based on a true story at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew this one wasn't, but, I mean, probably based loosely on Tom Hanks's experiences. But, um, but I was like, no, there were a lot of movies, I feel like, in the 90s that I remember watching that ended like that. And it was just nice and whole and satisfying to know exactly what happened to people after the end of the movie. But like you said, Jake, you know, right. We need to know. Oh, we had to know. And I love that they give everybody what seems so believable. Like, yes, that would have been what happened to guy and And then yes, Jimmy went through, you know, had hits with the herdsman because he finally got his damn herdsman. Brian Mm -hmm. got that. And we're hearing their song play at that moment. And he was became a record producer. So he like, he was playtone for the rest of his life. You know, that was his thing. And then Lenny, of course, married the playboy bunny and that didn't work, but yeah, the casino gig did. So he's working with De Niro and Joe Pesci or, or, or at least in his farina, you know, somewhere out there in a, in a casino. And then the bass player, you know, got purple heart for being brave and all that. And then went and had a career building Disney world or whatever in, in Florida and, so, but I love how none of them went back home. That was the thing. It's like they left mm-hmm. and they never went back. And I'm like, man, that's, that, that was the dream of that generation was to leave where they were from and go somewhere else and not necessarily go back home. And I don't know. It's, it was just cool. It was, it, it was fun to see and sort of where they, yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know if y'all have ever been to Pennsylvania, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I've written lines and songs about it. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've written entire songs about how I hated driving through Pennsylvania. <laughs> fair. I do think that's fair. Just because we used to do it diagonally to get like to the coast mm-hmm. when I was a kid and my brothers and I freaking hated it. It took like three hours to get through or more. It felt like 18 uh, to get through Pennsylvania and we just mm-hmm. could not do it. I understand that. Yeah. Well, gang, I think we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for that thing you do? Brian? Man, this is just a – for me, it's almost a perfect film. It's just engaging. It's fun. It's funny. It's uh, music, which obviously is a big deal to me. And uh, it's Tom Hanks, who's just freaking awesome. So And Liv Tyler's in it, which is always good for me as well. Love Liv Tyler. And uh, so for me, this is a large popcorn. It's just such a great movie. I, I can't recommend it enough if you've never seen it. Ron? Uh, I got to say, I was a little worried about rewatching it again for the first time in years, but it held up way better than I remembered. And there was a lot of funny bits in there that I had forgotten that, have, that came back to me as I watched the film. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with... An extra large popcorn. I really had a great time watching this after all of the difficulty I had actually getting it to work, which is not something anyone else is going to be interested in, but the people in this podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had a blast. It was great. It was funny, very sweet, lots of heart. It was very. It was a pop song turned into a ninety-minute movie. It was wonderful. Lance, uh, but like, like the best pop song i don't even know i feel like calling it a pop song doesn't even do it justice (laughs) i love this movie so much and i think and we didn't mention and i feel like it's worth mentioning because he did my favorite soundtrack of all time lord of the rings howard shore was a big part in the music of this movie i think he was listed as the conductor but it God, I, I also, I'm on Ron's side. I was a little worried about rewatching it because it had been so long since I'd seen it. But I loved it so much growing up. I was like, I think this is going to be a good one. I have a good feeling. And it was, I think I got more out of it this time because now I'm not, you know, in middle school and I got all of the jokes <laughs> and, and they landed just right. And the music and the writing and the way the entire movie flows. It's just a nice movie. It's so wholesome and satisfying and it's real, but happy at the same time. I don't know. I can't, I'm, I'm teetering on extra large popcorn. I think I'm going to land on a large popcorn with, like extra butter, but it was everything that I hoped it still was and more. And for me, I feel about this the way I feel about the music that I loved growing up and really that I was into at the time. And I, I used to worry about like, Oh, can I go back to that album that I really liked? And it turns out that numerous little experience from Jim Blossom still kicks ass as much today as it did back then. <laughs> uh, I, I love it then for what it was. And the same way about this movie, I do think it is, a pop song turned into a movie, but not in a bad way. And it's so hard to do a wholesome, fun movie like this and not be sappy and not be corny, but to use the corny as like part of the, 
the avenue and the delivery and everybody in it gives such a good performance. Like I, I said, the the dad understood the assignment. Everybody understood the assignment. Everybody clearly knew what they were supposed to do. And I give a lot of credit to that, to Tom Hanks and for what he wrote and getting that out of those actors, being an actor, knowing how to do that, but also surrounding himself with people like Howard Shore and Tech Fujimoto and all these other people to pull this off and make it work. And man, they just hit a gold mine with that, song from Adam Schlesinger and Fountains of Wayne. I mean, th- to those guys to write that is almost a joke, like to try to write a 60s pop song as a 90s rock band and it to be like one of the biggest things they did. And then for Stacy's mom, it would be the biggest thing they ever did. And they and them to not get mad about it. They lean into it and enjoyed it all through, you know, the, of course, Schlesinger's gone now, but the rest of the guys still play it. And I don't know. I, I just think this movie is so much fun and it watching it sends me back to a time 26, 27 years ago, whatever it's been now. And I'm, I mean, I was such a different person, but I still like a lot of the same stuff. I'm still sort of the same way. And I don't know. It's just fun to sort of slip back into every now and then and go like, Oh man, this is cool. So it's a large popcorn for me with all the butter and all the fun and just kick your feet up and hopefully you have an easier time streaming it than Ron did, but you know, they buy the disc, buy the VHS, you know, watch it that way. If you haven't seen it, I mean, gosh, I, I hope you'll go out and look it up now. Cause it is a, a real blast, but we picked this one, not only because it's been in the list for a while gang, but, the date this releases, April 11th, 2023, is exactly 13 years to the day of the first episode of Filmstrip Podcast. And each of you have been a part of this podcast for different times. Brian's first episode was July 19th, 2010, Batman Begins, with me and Anna. Uh, Ron's first episode was July the 31st, 2014, American Ninja, because of course it had to be, right? And Lindsay's first episode was November 11th, 2018, a film strip sessions, but your first review was Dirty Dancing with Brian and I on February the 2nd, 2020. And of course, my first episode was April 11th, 2010. Uh, so I, you know, we've all been on it for a long time, but I wanted to take a minute and just, you know, cheers and have a few memories of our own about this thing that we've been doing for 13 years now brian let's start with you man because you're you're really who i started this with wow going back to uh, art of slang too man yeah we've been doing this since i don't even know when but uh man there was some really good stuff that was done especially in those early years. I mean, we look back at the Leprechaun series has always been a favorite of mine. Yep. At going into that, man, we were like, this movie sucks. <laughs> but we had no idea how much worse it was going to get as we progressed through that freaking series of movies. And now I look at Leprechaun, the first Leprechaun, I'm like, that's a genius movie. <laughs> it's, oh man, just terrible. The, the made for some great reviews. And of course, my all-time favorite episode we ever did together is No Holds Barred. Yes. <laughs> the movie starring Hulk Hogan. And, oh, I cannot listen to that episode and drive because I will drive <laughs> off the road in tears at, at how we describe that movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, I highly recommend going back and listening to that one, but do not be driving because man, <laughs> I did that once and I was about two miles from home and I almost ran off the highway. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing too hard. Ron, what about your memories of film strip? Oh man, this has been such a great, like fun, creative outlet for me where there wasn't pressure like that. I put on myself when I do my writing 
it's it was it was at the time I was hadn't gotten quite burned out yet on writing and everything, but I needed something there. I needed a little extra something to get me through and like the podcast was a big part of that and it was a great time and and you know i've met a lot of great people through the podcast and we've had a lot of uh great guests that we've gotten to podcast with and i never would have thought we would have ever you know gotten a chance to and it's just been it's been such a great like fun thing to have in my life and you know 13 more years yeah. lance <laughs> I, yeah, I I got randomly asked to do a, what was it, a, a film strip sessions mm-hmm. one time. Um, I did it concussed, <laughs> 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 laying in bed on my iPhone. <laughs> and luckily, uh, you guys asked me back to do an actual review, so that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, like I don't because we did we did this all through the pandemic, and I I think I might have gone crazy if I didn't have something to do because at the time there was, you know, no theater. There was I was living by myself, <laughs> and so I had like no contact with the outside world except for like you know you guys and everyone else I would zoom with, but. Um, but this was just, a, you know, it's it's evolved since then. And now it's, I've been able to bring um, my Brian on and it's become like a fun, all right, what movie are we watching next? When's the next, <laughs> what's the next movie on the list? But it's just been really fun to, to get in and dig deep into some movies and, and really think about things that I haven't had to think about, you know, film wise outside of my own brain since college, you know, like Mm -hmm. these are things that I'm sure we're all looking at and analyzing for a lot of movies that we watch, but we don't always get to talk about it. So it's really been a ton of fun to have this outlet. And I'm so so happy that I four and a half years ago ended up uh, on a pod with you guys, and I'm even happier that I'm still doing it. So, yeah, thirteen more years. Let's go. I've done a lot of uh, creative outlet stuff in my life for years. I've always kind of had something. Um, movies are always my first love of things, and then I got into music, and that was a decade or more of my life. Of just doing that. And I didn't know what a podcast was when I started doing them. I just started looking for people talking about things that I wanted to hear people talk about on the internet. And I ended up working for a podcast and really learning what I was doing. And then I listened to Brian's wrestling podcast on blog talk radio before they sold out <laughs> just like the wonders and made life hell for everybody. But yeah, I, I had a show on there and he and I traded ads on the shows. I remember that we started chatting on like AOL or something like that. And we like Buffy, one thing led to another, you know, we're doing this, all this stuff. And I, just the, all the people I've been able to do this with, have made it so much fun. Cause I will watch the movies anyway, but having people to talk about it too, cause my wife watches movies and it's just like, they erase as she watches. Them. She's, it's, that's fine. And that's fine. You know? Um, but I, you know, everybody really talked to about them. 
so I would have these conversations in my head all the time. And it was so nice to have them with somebody else. And whether it was Anna or Brian or Nick or Kurt or Irina or, or any of you, uh, Brian, Ron, Lindsay, and all the guests we've had on through the years, there are too many to name you know individually, but it's all the cool people I've been able to meet through this that I've never been in the same room with, you know, like, and may never, but it's still so cool. And just some of the stuff I've been able to do, it's the coolest creative thing I've ever had my fingers on, like ever. And I would have never thought anybody would listen to it ever. And the fact that there are people out there uh, that have listened to this show since we started it, um, which, I mean, go back in the archives. We appreciate it. Forgive us for the first few episodes till we really figure out what we're doing. <laughs> um, really the no holes barred episodes are going to kind of start with, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, I, I so appreciate the, the community that is a podcast and the fact that this podcast has been, it's just this little thing, you know, that we just keep doing and, it was never meant to do for money. It was never going to make any of us famous, but we had our little corner of internet fame and we still do. And we'll just still keep doing them. People ask me all the time, like, what are you going to give the podcast up? And there's been times that I've shut it down and stopped it and, you know, just needed the break and all that stuff. And y'all have been gracious enough to just jump right back in when, you know, it, it hit me again. And now I'm like, yeah, I'll just keep doing it, I guess, until, mm-hmm. I don't know, until eventually we just don't, but it's just, it's just such a part of my routine in life. Like I, I used to not tell people that I did this. Cause I thought like, I don't want people to know, like, is that going to be bad professionally? And now I'm just, I guess I'm too old. And I don't care anymore. But I, people ask me like, what do you do in your free time? And I'm like, Oh, I podcast and I run and I podcast about running and I podcast, you know, that's what I do. And they're like, what's your podcast? I'm like, it's a movie podcast. If you've watched a bad movie, we've probably talked about it. And you know, or if you have a good one to recommend, a bad one to recommend, throw it in there. And, and I love though that I always wonder when we're getting reviews of the Lindsay now, especially, that you brought this to us. I'm like, I wonder what her Brian thought of this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a lot of fun. He loved this movie, by the good way. To know, good to know. That thing you do. Big so, fan. So we finally have watched good things now, according to him. But would you- honestly, he's embraced, he's starting to embrace the bad thing. Oh, I can't so. wait till we do what we, we were talking about on the text. She ain't doing we won't tease it now, but, but no, y'all really <laughs> like really though, y'all, this has been like I said, it's been the most fulfilling creative thing I've ever been able to do. And, um, I wouldn't be possible without y'all. And I, I love y'all. And I really appreciate each of y'all for just jumping in and, and being willing to do this and for always coming up with like, yeah, we should talk about, you know, American Ninja versus gladiator dinosaurs four, you know, like, not? Is, it on, is it on Tubi? You know, and, and uh, or, you know, or the, I think today's text chamber is like Tommy, we has got a movie about a shark. Oh, that's happening. <laughs> that, that's coming to a theater near you. And, uh, and it, it's fun to be able to do that and, share it with people and again and everybody listening to this thanks for letting us opine on and kind of do a little navel gazing here but i mean we we would do this anyway no lie like i would just hang out and talk to these people because it's fun but i'm so glad that y'all listen to this and download it and share it and laugh with us and talk about it and interact with us like it's such a blast and so thank you all for being there but particularly thank you to to brian ron and Lindsay, and all of our our past co-hosts as well for being a part of this and all our friends who come on the show because it's just a it's just a fun thing when when we started this podcast the whole premise of it was if I'm going to do a movie podcast, it needs to sound like people sitting around at a restaurant or a bar, just, just talking about a movie. 
And that's why we try to record it the way we do. And it's just a, it's just a round table. And it, it is that. And I tell people all the time, like my movie podcast is just me and my friends talking about movies that we like or don't, you know, and then we try to convince each other how, how wrong or right we are. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a running gag to find something I haven't seen at least four times, you know, and when you can find it, it's, you know, it's good or, and all the stuff. So I, I really appreciate it. And it's been, it's been a real blast. And, um, I, I, couldn't believe when I was looking at the calendar that the 13 year anniversary was like on was coming up and I thought holy smokes we got to do something for that we got to get everybody who came back together for it so thank y'all again for being a part of it and thank you to everybody who's been a part of Filmstrip through the years really appreciate it of course you can follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter Instagram Facebook Mastodon uh, Parlor I don't know what else we got out there Ron runs all that stuff mostly uh, Letterboxd all those things You'll find shows, announcements, all that stuff if you go to our letterbox page, which has our entire list of reviews. If you go to filmstrippodcast.com, that takes you to our Anchor Spotify distribution site where you'll find us, obviously, Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere podcasts are found. We are there. And yes, we finally did fix the Apple feed, you, you corporate Nazis, uh, for, for making life hard on us. But uh, we do appreciate it. Please share the show if you can. Leave us a positive review. Help us other people find the podcast. We really appreciate it. So for Brian, Ron, and Lindsay, I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.